If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, because today we're going to look at what Jesus taught on faith. I think if we're going to learn about something, the greatest teacher we could ever have is obviously Jesus. And so we're going to see what he taught about faith. So if you would, you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Also, if you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app on your smartphone and uh, you can pull up all of the scripture references that we'll be using as well as some sermon notes. And you can take some sermon notes right there in the YouVersion Bible app. And you can do that by clicking on uh, more. If you open up the app, click on more and then events and it'll find you and it'll find the service here this morning. And you can click on that and it'll pull right up on your phone. It's a great tool to have, great resource to have. But as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 17, I just want to read one verse of scripture from Acts chapter 26, verse 8. Paul is, is speaking to a group of people. He's actually on trial and uh, in a, a court of trial uh, for loving Jesus. And, and this is what he says. He says, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? And whenever I read my Bible several years ago and I read, a, I just, you know, happened to be reading through this passage of scripture and I came across that, it kind of just stopped me in my tracks because I, I don't know, it just pops out at you. Paul is just giving this audacious question. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Why does that seem so out of the ordinary? That should just be like second nature to us to expect God to raise people from the dead. It's a, I love that question, it's such a great question. And so I wanna challenge you with that verse today. Why does it seem incredible that God can do anything? He can do the impossible, he can do the possible, he can do the, the easy, he can do the difficult. Why does it seem incredible? It shouldn't. Look at your neighbor and say, it shouldn't seem impossible. It shouldn't seem impossible. And so today I want to talk about what Jesus teaches us about faith. And it's, it's really interesting in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus actually teaches us that there are four levels of faith. Four levels of faith. And so I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are. They're going to be our points for this morning. No faith, little faith, growing faith, and great faith. So in the Gospels, Jesus teaches us about these four levels of faith. And today, the, top, the title of today's message is Faith is Your Responsibility. Your Responsibility. I'm going to say something today uh, that I hope we can all grab onto. The quantity and the quality of your faith depends on you, not on God. The quantity and the quality of your faith depends on you. Matthew chapter 17, this is such a good story. I, I, I've been waiting for this moment for weeks now because this is such a, a great portion of scripture I've been waiting to share with you. Matthew chapter 17, we're gonna start in verse 14. It says, at the foot of the mountain, someone say at the foot of the mountain. That's gonna be important in just a moment. A large crowd was waiting for them. That's Jesus, Peter, James, and John. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Look at what Jesus said. I love how he's just so gentle with this. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. He's just so caring and so nurturing, isn't he? I love Jesus. And then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately. They, they, they pulled him aside and asked him a question. And I like to use my imagination when I read the Bible because it, may, it helps me to kind of understand what might have been going through their minds. So, so just imagine, you know, Jesus and the disciples, they come down off the mountain and there's already a large group waiting for them. And there's this man with a, his son who is demon-possessed. And they bring him, the, the man, the, the father brings his child to the disciples. And the Bible doesn't tell us the disciples wouldn't heal him. It says they couldn't heal him. 
And so the father goes to Jesus. Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. Jesus jumps all over. the. Can, whenever we read this, can you see the frustration? Can you feel the frustration in Jesus? You faithless and corrupt people. How long do I have to be here with you? How, I, I mean, I can just imagine him like talking to the father. How long do I have to be here with them? They're so faithless. They're so corrupt. How long do I have to put up with these people? He's so loving, so gentle. Bring the boy here to me. So they bring him over to Jesus. Jesus rebukes the demon. The demon comes out of him. The disciples are over there. Hey, hey Jesus. Hey, uh, can, can you come over here? Come, just, just over here just a second. Say, uh, Jesus, uh, whenever we came down off the mountain, uh, the, the father came and, you know, he, he told us, and, you know, <laughs> We, it was clear that the boy was possessed by a demon. And we, you know, we weren't really sure, like, do we do this? Like, I don't know, it's kind of weird, like, you know, demon possessed. Oh, you know, like, are we supposed to do that? Like, can we do that? How do, you haven't really taught us about this, Jesus. Like, I, I, what I'm trying to say is James, James came over, and, you know, we, we've seen you heal people. You know, you're like, and then they, they get healed. You know, James came over, and he, you know, he's like, I don't know, Jesus. I, I guess what we're trying to say, Jesus, is uh, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And look at Jesus' answer right here. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, remember, they had just come off of the mountain. Jesus points back to it. You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Can you imagine the disciples? I, I, I've read this before, and I've always thought Jesus was so frustrated for what seems like nothing. Like It's not that the disciples wouldn't cast the demon out. It's that they couldn't. So Jesus, why are you getting so upset with your disciples who tried to do something? Apparently they tried because the Bible tells us that they failed. They couldn't do it. So they tried. Jesus, why are you getting so upset with your disciples even though they tried? Like I can imagine their heart was probably in it and they tried. Do you know why Jesus was frustrated? Do you know why he was upset? It's not that they tried and failed. It's that they didn't have enough faith. Faith. So point number one, the, the first level of faith that Jesus talks about is no faith. No faith. He tells the disciples, you don't have enough faith. And then he tells them, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, now I've got a cup full of mustard seeds Right here. By the way, I have a question. Did anyone notice on your way in through the front doors this morning the mustard seeds on the, on the carpet, on the floor? No one. I, I didn't think you would. I went out there earlier this morning. The ushers were in the foyer out there. And I said, hey, I'm going to take a few seeds here. I'm going to spread them out over the carpet. Y'all tell me if anybody notices them. I said, the only person that will is Miss Diane tomorrow or Tuesday or Whenever she goes to vacuum, it's going to get kind of noisy. But I scattered some seeds out for a purpose. They're really small. They would be hard to notice. I'm going to pick up one right here. I'm going to try to get it on the tips of my fingers. Can any of y'all see this? It's really small. You can see it, Holly? Oh, no. You must have really good eyesight. All right, I'm going to throw it up in the air. You ready? I promise you there's a seed in my finger. You ready? Did anybody see it? No. And Jesus tells them, hey, if you had faith, like a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would be done for you. But you don't even have that amount of faith. You don't have enough faith. He tells them, you don't have enough faith. 
It's not that just that, it's that the disciples that sometimes had no faith. I want to come back to this story, Matthew chapter 17, here in just a moment. But I want you to look in, uh, well, you, you can just stay right there where you are. I'm just going to share it with you. And you can, you can write this down if you want to. But notice how Jesus gets frustrated with his disciples. And he calls them a faithless and corrupt generation. Faithless, meaning no faith. Then he says, you don't have enough faith. What he's saying is, you have no faith at all. There is no faith within you. You faithless and corrupt generation. Do you know what else God considers people that have no faith to be? I want to show you this. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. And I don't think I gave that to you, Julie, but that's okay. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, finally, brethren, this is Paul, pray for us. He's talking to the church in Thessalonica. Pray for us. That the word of God may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you in Thessalonica, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Someone say unreasonable and wicked. For not all have faith. This is what Paul says. In the Bible, 2 Thessalonians, people without faith are unreasonable and wicked. And so now you can kind of see Jesus' frustration whenever the disciples couldn't heal the boy. He's saying, you're being unreasonable, disciples. You're acting wicked and corrupt. No faith is no good. Say, no faith is no good. No faith is no good. In Mark chapter 4, verse 40, Jesus got on to the disciples again. He says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so we see all throughout the Gospels, Jesus, he rebukes his disciples those that should have faith for having no faith. We want to know God's heart whenever it comes to faith. Can I tell you this? Can I say this? I'm going to step on your toes a little bit. God is not pleased in areas of our life where we don't have faith. He's not pleased. And that's just the bottom line. I think a lot of times we, we want to have this thought and this mentality that Jesus is just always so proud of us. But, you know, there's sometimes, let's be honest, there's sometimes we fail him. And there's certain areas of our life where we may have a great faith, and then there are certain areas of our life where we have no faith. And I'm just going to be honest, according to the Word of God, He's not real impressed with you if you have no faith. Not only that, but there is no excuse for not having faith. There's no excuse for not having faith. In Romans chapter 1, as, as a youth pastor, let me preface that. As a youth pastor, I've had several students come up to me and they ask really great questions, really great questions. And I've had this question several times. They say, hey, what happens when someone grows up in a third world country that isn't a you know, Christian country, and they, they grow up and they spend their whole lives and they are never told about Jesus and they don't have a Bible to read, what happens when they die? That's, some, that, that's a good question, right? That's a reasonable, you know, what happens? Do they go to heaven? Or do they go to hell when they die? Well, did you know the Bible actually answers this question? In Romans chapter 1, verse 19, we're going to read 19 and 20. It actually goes on further than that, but we're just going to read these two verses. This is what Paul is saying. He says, they know the truth about God, and he's talking about unbelievers. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now, I told you we went to the Grand Canyon. I love being outside. I love backpacking. I love hiking. I love hunting. I love anything that has to do with being in the great outdoors. I love it. In fact, the further you can get me away from civilization, throw me out in the middle of the wilderness, I will be thriving. I love nature because I love looking at God's handiwork. I love looking at his designs. I love looking at the intricacies of the things that he's done and, and set into place and into motion. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you can go outside at night, especially if you're outside of the city where there's not a whole lot of light pollution, and you can look up and, and certain, certain nights you can see the, gal the Milky Way galaxy up in the sky above you. And I honestly don't know how anybody could look at that and say, oh man, what a lucky coincidence. 
man, we sure are lucky that all this just happened by mistake. This is the best mistake ever. We all know that mistakes are never really good. God may turn some mistakes around for our good, but mistakes are usually pretty detrimental. Can I say this? This was no mistake. God is an incredible designer. He has a plan, you, and he, this is what he says in Romans, you can look at the earth and you can look at the sky and through it you can see God's invisible qualities, namely his power and his divine nature. You can see those things in what he has made. And so the Bible tells us that people, ever since the beginning of creation, people don't have an excuse for not knowing God because they've seen God's invisible qualities all around them in nature. It goes on to say, you can read it for yourself in Romans chapter 1, that the reason why is they've, they've recognized God, but they haven't worshipped him as God. Someone say, no faith. No faith. So I don't understand why, I, and there have been times where I've had no faith in certain situations, and I don't understand why sometimes we have this mentality that God will still help us or he will be pleased in those situations. Because honestly, he's not. He says an unbeliever has no excuse for having no faith. So we as believers, we should definitely have no reason to be living outside of faith. We should be a people of faith. Amen. Here's point number two. This is the second level of faith that Jesus taught about, and that's little faith. Little faith. Here's another great story. Just turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. Someone say, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Jesus is telling them this, you have no reason to be fearful because you're in the presence of God. Wow. So then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now that's some faith. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a boat, I'm not going to step out of the water unless it's a beautiful sunny day and the water's really pretty and a little bit clearer than Wright Patman for sure. And, and it's just, you know, blustery hot and the water's cool. I might jump in to cool off. Uh, but I'm definitely not going to be, you're not going to find me, I promise, you will not find me stepping out of a boat into a stormy sea. It's not gonna happen. You just go ahead and chalk that one up. But here's Peter with some faith. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. That is so cool, so cool. Uh, also, it's so impossible, very impossible, but it happened. Why? Because he had faith. Verse 30, but when Peter saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sing, save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed his hand and said, Peter, well done. Good job. You did it. You did it. Right? No. I could imagine walking on water, and even if I failed, I can imagine expecting Jesus to at least be a little bit proud of me, right? Watch what Jesus says. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Peter, give me one good reason why you're in the water right now. Peter, do you not understand who I, I told you, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, I am here, Peter, 
And here's Peter, save me, Lord! Now I've read this one and had the same reaction. Jesus, that was just so unlike you. I thought you might would be proud of Peter. Why are you getting on Peter for doing this? Like, he, you didn't even say, hey, if you believe in me, come out of the boat. Peter was the one to pride on the situation. Hey, Jesus, if it's really you, you tell me to come out there. Give me permission to walk on the water and I'll do it. Jesus said, yes, come. And then you see Peter, he's over there. Whoa. This is pretty cool. Jesus, look at me, I did it! <laughs> look, I got you there. <laughs> Why are y'all still in the boat? Come on. This is so cool. And then all of a sudden, Peter looks around, see Jesus. And he looks around, he sees the legs like, whoa, that's a big wave. Whoa, the wind was pretty strong. I knew it was strong whenever I was in the boat, but now I'm not in the boat anymore. And he's looking around. The Bible says he saw the strong wind and waves. See, whenever Peter got on the outside of the boat, he noticed the waves were strong and the wind was strong. But in the Greek, it gives us this idea that it was a comparative sense. In other words, he looked at Jesus and he knew who Jesus was. He had seen Jesus do miracles. He knew Jesus' strength and his power and his might and his ability. He knows all of that. But as he's standing on the water, he reassesses his situation. He looks at what's going on around him and he makes a determination in his mind and his spirit that the waves that he is standing on is stronger than the one who called him out onto it. And so whenever Peter starts to sink, Jesus, he doesn't clap, say, hey, you did a good job. Jesus grabs him immediately. And before he even puts him in the boat, you can read it in your Bible, before they even get to the boat, he grabs Peter and he says, Peter, you have such little faith. You have such little faith. Now why would Jesus get on to him about that? Like, I would think, you know, Jesus, I, I don't know, that's kind of a lot of faith. I did something that literally no one else in human history has ever done. Give me a little bit of credit. But I want you to notice what happened right before Jesus walks on the water with the disciples in the boat. Look in, in Matthew chapter 14, the story right above that. What story is that? Anybody know? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Thank you, Jim. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's another incredible story. The, Jesus is preaching. He's very long-winded. He preached for hours and hours like we're going to do here today. And he's just going on and on and on. And the people were getting tired. The people were getting hungry. And the disciples come up to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, the Baptist people are going to beat us, the Catfish King. We got to, come on, we got to wrap this up. We got to go, Jesus. Like, come on, we, it's almost 12 o'clock, Jesus. We got to get out of here. Everybody's hungry. Jesus says, well, feed them. Disciples start looking around. Hey, you got food? No? You got food? Nobody got food? Apparently this one little boy's like, man, I got some food. The Bible tells us Andrew takes it to Jesus. Jesus, we got some food. It's not much. What does Jesus do? The Bible tells us right here in Matthew chapter 14, he lifts it up. And he blesses it. He thanks God for it. How much food was in this little meal? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Bible says Jesus lifts it up and he thanks God for it. And, and then he takes the bread and he breaks it. And then he starts handing it out to the people, right? No, that's not right. He gives it to who? The disciples. So I want you to notice this. The disciples, they come to Jesus with one schoolboy's lunchbox. Jesus, this is what we got. This is it. And there's over 5,000 people. The, the Bible in this time, they only counted men. Men, not boys, not males, men. And so you can imagine if each man had a wife and one child, a generous 
estimate, or, or a liberal estimate, I should say, would be that there were over 15,000 people there. And they've got one boy's lunch. I can just imagine Silas being like, man, didn't none of y'all bring food? What y'all thinking? Y'all know Jesus preaches a long time. But here's Jesus. He already takes what isn't near enough to feed 15,000 people, much less an adult. It was a boy's lunch. And then what does he do? He breaks it into smaller pieces and gives the smaller pieces to his disciples. And he says, go feed them. Go feed them. Can you imagine being one of the disciples? They're like, man, this ain't going to take long. Uh, man, I got half a piece of bread and like part of the head of a fish. So here, I'll just give you half of this, half a piece of bread. Here's a little bite of the fish. Man, this is, what did I come from? How much did I give you? Okay. Well, here, I, you take this and that, and then I'll give you this, and that's all I get. Where did that come from? And they're passing it out. 20 people later, they're still breaking off a piece and handing it out. 60 people later, they're still breaking off pieces and handing it out. 300 people later, the disciples, I can just imagine, you know, they got this piece of bread and they take off a chunk and they're like, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. This is cool. This is pretty cool. Dude, watch this, watch this. Watch it. Whenever I take it off, watch. You like that, dude? Can you imagine? Like, it's hard for us to even imagine what this must have been like. But I know if I was a disciple and I was handing out bread, I wouldn't even be looking at the person. I, was, I would just be looking at the bread just growing in my hand, right? It makes, it's reasonable to assume that they would have done that, right? Because that's incredible. I want you to notice this. The miracle didn't even happen in Jesus' hands. The miracle happened in the disciples' hands, and they got to see it happen not one time, not 12 times, but thousands of times until everyone was fed, everyone was full and satisfied, and there was some leftovers. And so now whenever Peter's neck deep in the water, Jesus, save me. Jesus is picking him up and saying, Peter, why is your faith still so little? Why am I having to pull you up out of the water? Do you not remember two hours ago whenever you were multiplying bread in your hands, whenever the miracle of God was taking place right in front of you? Why would you doubt me? I told you, take courage, I am here. Peter, why would you doubt? What reason do you have for not believing in me? Why is your faith still so small? I can imagine whenever they're feeding the 5,000 man, they're on the mountain. Dude, watch this. Look how good God is. Wow, man, he could do this over and over and over and over again. And then now all of a sudden, Jesus, save me. And Jesus is like, didn't you learn anything? Don't you remember? Church, can I lovingly say this to you? If God has done anything great in your life, and I know for a fact that he has, then why do we still have areas of our life where we still operate in such little faith? Whenever we're able to look back on the things that God has done in our life, I mean, some of us came out of the pits of hell and God brought us up and he heals us and he nurtures us and he guides us along and he provides for us. And, and sure, there's bumps along the way and there's things we're like, God, I don't know what you're doing. But every single bump and every single situation that I've had that I've been like, God, where are you? You know what? I've been able to look back on those and say, ah, I see what you were doing there. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. I see how you've been faithful. And God's desire and God's expectation is that we learn from those moments where God provided, where God showed up, and we're able to carry those on, and our faith will grow. Someone say grow. 
That's the third point of faith that Jesus teaches about. Third level is a growing faith. A growing faith. Did you know nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever compliment someone for having a little faith? Never. You're like, well, Pastor said, we just read about the mustard seed. Jesus said, if you have faith this big, that's pretty little. I'm no, you know, agriculturist, agriculturalist, but that's not very big. And Jesus said, if you just have faith that size. Well, let's read it again. Matthew chapter 17. I believe it's verse 20. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, that's pretty small. You could say this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible to you. But Jesus, why did you rebuke Peter for having a little faith? It's not adding up. So I want to help you today, okay? Can, can I help you? If uh, you've ever struggled to read or study the Bible, I really want to help you in this moment. So in case you didn't know, a little history lesson. The Bible was written in... What language? Greek in the New Testament and Hebrew in the Old Testament. I don't speak Hebrew and I definitely don't know Greek. And I don't know anybody that does. <laughs> so I have to rely on an English translation of the original Hebrew and Greek Bible. And here's the thing. Whenever you translate, I know, I know Cade, he's bilingual, he speaks Spanish and English. Whenever you translate, there are certain words in one language that are hard to translate into another language because one language might not have a word that is uh, close enough related to that word. And so whenever we're reading an English translation, there are some words that what they've done is they've tried to explain that Greek word the best that they could, but there might still be a little bit missing. So what you have to do, our job is to go in and search deeper, to look deeper, to, to find out what that word really means. And there's a lot of great resources at our disposal to do that. Well, here I'm reading from the New Living Translation where it says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. But if you're reading from the New King James Version or King James or, or an English Standard Version right there, what does it say? It says, if you have faith as a mustard seed. It doesn't say if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. It said if you have faith as a mustard seed. In fact, we've got it up here on the screen. You can see it now in the New King James. If you have faith as a mustard seed. In other words, that Greek word right there is the word hos. And that word hos means with the qualities of. And so what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, hey, if you have a faith this small, then you can move that huge mountain from there to there. What Jesus is saying is this, if you have faith with the qualities of a mustard seed, it's real small, but what happens to it? Four chapters earlier, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus preaches a sermon and in his sermon, guess what he talks about? The mustard seed. Let's look at that, Matthew chapter 13. This is really good. I, I want to take the time for this because it's really good. It'll help you out. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. says, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny mustard seed. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that has been planted in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make its nest in their branches. And now Jesus is saying if you have faith as or with the qualities of a mustard seed. He's telling his disciples, you remember what I just preached about last week? The mustard seed, you remember that? If your faith is like that mustard seed, you can plant it and watch it grow. So God isn't just satisfied with no faith. I have a pot up here. It has some soil in it. Very dusty soil. I didn't even water it. There's no seeds in it. Now, if I keep this cup of mustard seeds right here, What's going to happen to it? Nothing. It's just going to be there. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's not good enough to just have a 
small faith. It's definitely not good enough to have no faith, but you have to exercise your faith. You have to take your faith. You have to take that seed. You have to put it in the soil and cover it up and you have to water it and then it will grow. He says, if you have faith like that, your faith doesn't have to start out big. And I love this about God. He doesn't expect a brand new believer to have great faith. Isn't that wonderful of him? Because we would all fail. (laughs) But I want to say this too. If you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time, he doesn't expect you to have a little faith either. He expects you to have put that faith in the soil of prayer, in the soil of worship, and water it with the word of God so that your faith can grow. Grow into a plant. And he tells them this, the mustard seed, it's the smallest of these garden seeds, but it grows into the biggest of the garden plants. I did a little bit of research into mustard seeds Turns out they do grow very big, and they are an invasive plant. If you plant them in your garden, it's likely that they will take over the majority of your garden. Early, early this spring, at the beach, actually it was probably the later part of winter this year, Jack, my oldest son, he was four years old, he, he found an old craft that he had made in school from the previous fall. They made a craft, and, and inside this craft were some pumpkin seeds. And we were all, the state of Texas had shut down and everyone was in quarantine. And, and my wife was, she had worked at Chili's, but now Chili's was closed down. So she's at home with the kids. And I'm up here at the church trying to figure out how to do online church services and all that. So Emily's at home alone with our two sons. And, and uh, if you're a parent that had to survive what is 2020, then you know that 2020 has lasted for more than one year. And, uh, and so she's at home with the boys. She's taking care of them. And Jack finds this craft with these uh, pumpkin seeds. And mom, I want to plant these pumpkins. And Emily says, well, Jack, it's not the right time of year to plant pumpkins. You know, pumpkins normally mature and they, they grow at the, you know, the, the middle of October so that by the end of October, you have these nice big pumpkins. And so you have to wait until May to plant these seeds so that you'll have these pumpkins during the fall. And Jack just kept pestering her, kept bugging her, Mom, I want to plant these pumpkin seeds. Every day, Mom, I want to plant the pumpkin seeds. Mom, I want to plant the pumpkin seeds. Is it May yet, Mom? Is it May yet? No, Jack, it's not even close to May. This is like the end of February, like the beginning of March. Finally, Emily says, you know what? Jack, yes, we'll go plant those pumpkin seeds. They won't grow, but we'll plant them just so you know that they've been planted. So he gets all excited. They go outside. We have this raised uh, garden in our, in our backyard, and it's about four feet wide by maybe 25 feet long. And there wasn't anything in it yet because we hadn't planted anything in it yet. And so he takes these pumpkin seeds, and, you know, puts his finger in the dirt and puts a pumpkin seed in there and covers it up. We get our water hosing, waters them all down. And Emily is like, finally, I'm done listening to this boy talk about these pumpkin seeds. Guess what happened a few weeks later? We're in the backyard doing whatever, and Emily says, Sam, come here. And I walk over there, and she said, does this look like a pumpkin plant to you? And I said, surely it's not. It's got to be a squash or something from the year before, you know, zucchini, something like that. And she's like, this is exactly where Jack planted those seeds. I was like, well, that's also exactly where we had our squash and zucchini last year. So, you know, it could just be, you want to guess what it was? Pumpkins. We had pumpkins in June this year. In fact, I got a picture. I want to show you of Jack and his pumpkin. And this is uh, obviously not fall. You can look at the trees back there. (laughs) You can look at the grass. We had a, a good rain in the spring, and, and so there's Jack pointing at his first pumpkin of the year. He's so proud of it. And I'm like, Jack, what are we going to do with these until fall? Well, they're still in our yard today. But what happened was these pumpkin seeds, I don't know if you've ever grown pumpkins, but they don't make this little bitty plant. You can't even see our, ra- remember, this is a raised, a raised garden. It's about two feet tall. 
you can't even see the walls of it. It's just grown, it filled out the whole garden, spilled over the sides and just spread out. It started taking over our backyard. I had to, I'm not even kidding you, I had to get a machete and chop a lot of the vines so that I could mow my backyard. This plant grew huge and Jack was so proud of his pumpkins, so proud. We were making a pumpkin pie in June, y'all, June. The faith of a child, come on. I want you to notice this. This pumpkin plant grew in a season where pumpkin plants aren't supposed to grow. And God wants our faith to be the same way. He says, listen, if you have faith, it, it, it's okay if it starts out small, but if you have faith and you put it in the right soil, which is me, my presence, my word, you cover it up, you water it, you can watch it grow. You can watch it grow. I want to share a verse of scripture here with you. This is so cool. It's in, uh, let me find it here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and this is what he says to them. He says, we, me, ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we, he's talking about himself and his fellow ministers, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is what Paul is saying. He writes them a letter and he says, I want to thank you for having not just a little faith as a church, as the body of Christ, but that your faith is growing. Like Thessalonica, you don't understand. Every church we go to throughout the region, we tell them about you. We tell them about your faith. We tell them about how you, how you operate, how you love one another, how you get together, you read the word, how you worship and you pray together, and your faith has been growing. We boast about it, and that's the right thing for us to do. We're proud of you because your faith is growing in a season where faith doesn't normally grow. And I've got I've to admit to you, church, this year has been hard for everyone. And there have been times where I've been operating in just a little faith. But what the Word of God tells us is that faith that grows in a season where faith shouldn't be growing is admirable, it's commendable, it touches the heart of God. God's idea for us isn't that we have a, or his idea isn't that we have no faith. His idea isn't even that we have a little faith. His idea for us, his expectation is that our faith is planted and that it grows. Some will say it grows. It grows. Here's point number four. Great faith. Great faith. And if the worship team would come, please. Matthew chapter 8, so just a few more pages back, if you would. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. I love this story. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer, someone say Roman. It's important. A Roman officer came and pleaded with Jesus, Lord my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Look at what Jesus says. I'll come and heal him. I will come and heal him. Verse 8 says, but the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Your version might say that Jesus marveled. 
Do you know there are only two times in the entire Bible where it says that God the Father or Jesus the Son were ever amazed? Two times. Do you want to guess what both of those times had to do with? Faith. Jesus was amazed when he heard this. And turning to those who were following him, turning to his disciples, <laughs> it's kind of an insult. He said to them, I tell you the truth, disciples, I haven't seen faith like this man's in all Israel. Now remember, the man was a Roman. He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't, he wasn't even Jewish. He wasn't anywhere belonging to the people who have been raised with the teachings of God. They hadn't been raised with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They hadn't been raised with the law of Moses or, or the structure of the temple or the synagogue. They hadn't, he hadn't learned all of this stuff. But here this man is, and he says, Jesus, I've got someone at home who's sick in bed that's very dear to me. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, no, 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 you don't have to. Just say the word from right here where you are, and he over there will be healed. I know this because I understand, Jesus, that you have authority. I understand. I, I have authority. He's a Roman centurion, which means he was the, the ruler of 100 Roman soldiers. He said, all I got to do is tell my soldiers, go and they go, or come and they come, or do this and they do it, because I have that authority. And I'm also under authority of my superiors. They tell me to go and I go. They tell me to come and I come. They tell me to do it and I do it. I understand, Jesus, that you have authority. I've heard that what you've done, I've heard you cast out demons, I've heard you heal the sick, I've heard you raise the dead. I've seen and, and heard people talking about all of these things, so just say the word in Jesus is like, wow. Hey, y'all see this guy? I've been teaching y'all about faith for all this time. Y'all had listened to the thing. This guy, he's heard other people talk about it. He's, it's just word of mouth. And he believes. He through Jesus, that, that word is almost like being taken back, like, wow. Jesus was amazed. He was amazed. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, he said, go back home because you believe or because of your faith. It has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Jesus tells us this, in Jesus' teaching in the, in the Gospels, no faith is not impressive. In fact, we're considered unreasonable and wicked whenever we operate in areas with no faith. And he's not even pleased with a little bit of faith. He says, I want your faith to grow. But the fourth level of faith he talks about is come on, help me out, is great faith. He says this, listen, your faith should go beyond the cup. Your faith should be planted in the soil and watered. Your faith should grow, but even after it's grown, it shouldn't stay there. Your faith should keep on going and keep on growing and get a little bit bigger because listen to me, if you've been walking with me, if you've been with me for any amount of time, you should be able to look back and say, wow, God, that was amazing. I believed you for that, so I can definitely believe you for this. And then you get on the other side of that and, and you look back, you're like, wow, God, I can't believe you came through. If you came through then, then I know you can come through now. And church, I wanna say this to you in 2020, the year that none of us will ever forget. If we have seen God move in 2019, 2018, in years past, then we can believe him for right now. Come on. And when we get to the other side, we'll be looking back on 2020 and say, hey, you came through then? I had COVID, but here I am. I lost my job, but I'm still standing. I've still got my home. My family has, has been fighting and bickering, but you've healed us in the past. 
So now I'm standing on the other side and I'm looking back in 2021 and saying, God, I see what you did there and I'm looking forward to what you're doing here. God, I don't even have to see your hand. You just say the word. You just say the word. And let me tell you what happens to Jesus. Wow. Okay. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Cass County. I haven't seen faith like this in all the United States. Someone say, please. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back one day, he's gonna be looking for two things. He's gonna be looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth, and he's going to be looking for those who have faith. Luke chapter 18, verse eight, and I'm gonna close with this verse. It says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? When Jesus splits open the sky and comes back down to this earth, he's going to be looking for those who have faith, those who have made faith their way of life. Those who haven't just said, you know, Jesus, you, you've given us, we talked two weeks ago about how Jesus, how God has given us a measure of faith. He's, get, he's dealt to every man a measure of faith. But he's not coming back saying, hey, you got that seed I gave you. No, he's gonna say, what did you do with that seed of faith that I gave you? How has it grown? What does it look like now? Is it, is it barren and dry? And are, are there any leaves to be seen? Or, or is it growing and flourishing and developing seeds? Or has it grown into a tree that birds can put their nests in? He's gonna be looking for those that have faith. So if you would just stand with us this morning. We're just gonna take five minutes here. And I want you as they, as the worship team leads us in, in worship, I want you to just, just close your eyes and just get still for a moment. And I really want you to evaluate your life currently right here, November, what is today, 29th, 2020. I want you to evaluate your life and I want you to try purposely, intentionally, try to think about the areas of your life that have been so hard for you to believe in God. Those areas that you're just like, God, I know you're big, but this is, I've been praying for it, but even in my prayers, I just feel like, I don't know, like you're not able or you don't want to. Just think about those areas, just close your eyes if you would. Examine your life and think about those areas. And what I want you to do is as we sing this song of worship, is I want you to ask God, God, help me take this little bit of faith that's almost non-existent, that's so small, I didn't even know, I walked on it on the way in these doors this morning, it's so small. Help me to take that little bit of faith, that puny, tiny, ridiculously small amount of faith, help me plant it in prayer this week. Help me plant it in worship this week. Let me water it with the word of God this week so that I can see it grow in this situation that has seemed so impossible. Let that be your prayer today.
for who you are. We are thankful for how you love us. Lord, we're even thankful for your correction and your discipline in our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with a small faith in any area of our lives, God, but I pray that we would exercise our faith, God, that we wouldn't just hold on to faith, God, but that we would plant our faith in you so that we can watch it grow, so that it pleases you, God. You are so good to us. You have been so faithful. Forgive us for those moments where we've lost faith in you, whenever our faith has diminished in you, God. Help us to be a people of great faith. And Lord, this week, as we've examined our lives and, and, and found the areas where our faith has been weak, God, I pray that you would help our faith to grow in those areas, that our faith, that we would be dependent and, and our desire would be for you in each and every situation. Lord, we know you're good. We know you're good. Help us remember your goodness. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come on. If he's been good to you, I want you to say, he's been good to me. Let me give you a little hint. This is what I do whenever I get to where I'm feeling like I've uh, hit the bottom of the faith barrel. <laughs> and it works every single time. Here's something that you can do. Remind yourself what he's done verbally get, get alone by yourself and just say Sam you, I guess you've forgotten about it but God was good whenever your son was sick and in the hospital Sam I know you might have forgotten about it because it's been a long time but God was good whenever you were believing for him to do a miracle in your life and he did it and I know it's been a while but do you remember how God brought you back from Dallas, Texas to Queen City, Texas to be at Calvary Temple? Now, I know you've forgotten about it, Sam, but do you remember God's goodness by bringing you the woman of your dreams who, who's been the biggest blessing? I know you've forgotten about it, Sam, but just remind yourself. Remind yourself of God's goodness. And before you know it, you're just going, I, I don't know if this is what happens to me. I just find myself worshiping. And I find all of a sudden my joy is returning. And then now I'm able to say, man, you know, God, you have been good. Forgive me for forgetting all that stuff. I, I didn't mean to, but forgive me, Jesus. I, now I've, I've got my mindset and I know where I'm going. Let's do this. And even if I don't see, like the song we, we sing all the time, even when you don't see it, he's working. We don't have to see God's hands moving to have our faith put in Him. We just have to say, God, from where you are, speak the word. And that's enough for me. Come on, Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you haven't left us here to try to figure all this out, but that you've given us your word to guide our lives. And I pray that we would be a people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I love you so much, church family. 
love you so much. I can't wait to be back with everybody this Wednesday night. It's been a whole week since we've been together, but we will have church this Wednesday night. Love someone before you go.